Section 11 of Edward the Black Prince by Louise Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 9 Triumphal Return to England. On leaving the battlefield of Poitiers, the little army of English, with many prisoners and rich booty, did not venture to attack any fortress on their way to Bordeaux. It would be honour enough to take back in safety the King of France and his son, and all the gold and silver and jewels they had won. They proceeded by slow marches as they were heavily laden. They met with no resistance, the whole country was subdued by terror, and the men-at-arms retreated into the fortresses. When the prince drew near to Bordeaux, all the people came out to welcome him. First came the College of Bordeaux in solemn procession, bearing crosses and chanting thanksgivings. They were followed by all the dames and damsels of the town, both old and young, with their attendants. The prince led the king to the monastery of St. Andrew, where they both lodged, the king on one side and the prince on the other. The citizens and the clergy made great feasts for the prince, and showed much joy at his victory. Soon after his arrival, the cardinal of Perigord came to Bordeaux as ambassador from the pope, who sent a letter to the black prince, exhorting him to use his victory moderately and to make peace. During the following winter, the black prince stayed at Bordeaux, where he and his Gascon and English soldiers passed the time in feasting and merriment, and lavishly spent all the gold and silver they had gained. When the news of the Battle of Poitiers was brought to England by a messenger bearing King John's helmet and coat of mail, it was received with great rejoicings throughout the country. Thanksgivings were offered up in all the churches, and bonfires were made in every town and village. As the spring drew near, the prince began to make preparations for taking his royal prisoners to England. When the season was sufficiently advanced, he called together the chief Gascon lords and told them what preparations he had made and how he was going to leave the country under their care. But the Gascons were not at all pleased on learning that he meant to take the King of France away from them to England. They looked upon John as their prisoner and did not wish to lose him. When the prince could not pacify them, Sir John Chandos and Lord Cobham, who knew well how dearly the Gascons loved gold, advised him to offer them a handsome sum of money. After receiving a hundred thousand florins, the Gascons consented that the King of France should depart. The black prince embarked in a fine ship, taking with him some Gascon lords. The King of France went in a ship by himself, so that he might be more at his ease. Before making up his mind to return to England, the black prince had concluded on the 14th of March, 1357, through the mediation of the Pope, a truce of two years with the regency which was ruling France during the captivity of her king. He was thus able to leave Aquitaine without fear of its being attacked by the French during his absence. The voyage to England lasted eleven days and nights, and the little fleet reached Sandwich on May 4, 1357. The prince, with his royal prisoners and his attendants, remained two days at Sandwich that they might refresh themselves after their voyage. Their next stopping place was Canterbury, which in those days none would pass without turning aside to worship at the shrine of the famous martyr St. Thomas of Canterbury in the great cathedral. Here the King of France and the Black Prince knelt and worshipped and made their offerings. The second night they rested at Rochester, 
the third night at dartford as soon as edward the third had heard of their arrival in england he gave orders for preparations to be made for their triumphal entry into london all the great guilds of the city were ordered to appear in procession with the banners the twelve great guilds the livery companies of the city the merchant tailors goldsmiths leather sellers and the unions of the artificers of special crafts were then at the very summit of their wealth and importance they possessed exclusive privileges with regard to their special trade which none might practise except members of the guild admission into the guild was almost impossible as the aim of the guild brothers was to make their crafts monopolies of a few families these guilds were possessed of enormous wealth and ruled the city of london so important were they that edward the third himself as well as the black prince became members of the guild of merchant tailors now the guilds were ordered to prepare a grand reception for the prince of wales and his prisoners each guild went out headed by its warden with its banners borne before mounted on horseback one thousand of the chief citizens went out to southwark to meet the prince the king of france rode on a splendid white courser the black prince was mounted on a little black hobby and rode by the king's side escorted by this great body of citizens they entered london first they had to cross london bridge which was very different then from what it is now it was a stone bridge of twenty arches with a large drawbridge in the middle on either side of the bridge was a row of high and stately houses in the middle was a gothic chapel dedicated to st thomas of canterbury at either end was a fortified gateway with battlements and a portcullis and on the battlements were stuck the ghastly heads of traitors the procession passed over the bridge watched by wondering crowds and on through the narrow streets with their quaint overhanging gabled houses mostly built of wood it proceeded up cornhill where the corn merchants held their traffic along cheapside past the cathedral of st paul's and then along fleet street everywhere the houses were decorated with tapestry hung outside the walls and the rich citizens exposed at their windows their splendid plate and quantities of armour bows and arrows and all kinds of arms through temple bar the procession passed out into the strand which then ran through green fields to westminster here and there on either side of the road were the houses of the nobles and the bishops surrounded by gardens they passed the savoy palace one of the largest of these houses which was to be the abode of king john during his captivity and whitehall then the palace of the archbishop of york at last they came to westminster so dense had been the crowd of spectators blocking the narrow streets that the cavalcade could only advance very slowly and though they had entered the city at three o'clock in the morning it was not till noon nine hours afterwards that they reached westminster edward the third received them in westminster hall seated on a throne surrounded by his prelates and barons he greeted john with every possible honour and distinction descending from his throne to embrace him he then led him to partake of a splendid banquet prepared in his honour that afternoon the clergy of london came forth in procession clad in their robes and bearing crosses in their hands and marched through the streets singing psalms of praise for two days prayers and thanksgivings were offered up throughout london and westminster king john had an apartment in the king's own palace at westminster till the savoy palace was prepared for him and his son he was afterwards removed to windsor and then to hartford castle 
the winter after his arrival splendid jousts were held in smithfield king john and his son as well as the french lords who had been brought as prisoners to england were allowed on giving their parole great liberty in england they amused themselves principally in hunting and hawking in the forests around windsor the number of frenchmen at that time in england led the english courtiers to imitate french fashions before the taking of king john the english used to wear beards and their hair was cropped short round their heads now they copied the french and wore their hair in flowing locks and shaved their beards edward the third and his queen paid frequent visits to the king of france and often invited him to sumptuous entertainments doing their utmost to cheer and console him edward was anxious to release john as soon as possible but he asked such an enormous ransom that it was hopeless to obtain it in the impoverished condition of france the state of france was indeed deplorable the regent prince charles the dauphin had summoned the states-general to meet at paris to do something for the restoration of order and government they proved very unmanageable and complained of the misgovernment of the country of the overtaxation which had ruined the people and of the wasteful prodigality which had emptied the exchequer the leading spirit of the states-general was etienne marcel provost of the merchants of paris he hoped to be able to set on foot all kinds of reforms and succeeded in releasing from prison charles the bad king of navarre charles had managed to gain the sympathy of the people of paris by his imprisonment which they looked upon as unjust he now promised to befriend the people's interests he and marcel harangued the populace of paris and increased their zeal for reforms meanwhile the people in the country were suffering the most horrible poverty the barons who had been taken prisoners at poitiers returned on parole in haste to their estates to collect the money necessary for their ransom to raise this money all the small possessions of the peasants on their estates were seized and sold ruined by their lords the peasants were next subject to the cruelties of the free companies which were now more numerous than ever after the battle of poitiers the disbanded french soldiers the soldiers of the king of navarre many gascons and even many english had formed themselves into companies these were commanded not by common soldiers or by low-born persons but by barons and nobles one was even commanded by the brother of the king of navarre in the absence of their king the barons seemed to have broken loose from all restraint and ravaged the country at pleasure these companies kept the whole land in terror they devastated the country and sacked the cities even paris trembled at their approach the country people hid themselves in caves in the earth to escape them at last driven to despair by hunger and suffering the peasants rose in fury they attacked the castles plundered and burnt them and murdered the nobles with their wives and families it was a terrible and desperate vengeance for the outrages and oppressions of many centuries the nobles had long spoken contemptuously of the peasants as jacques bonhomme and from this the rising of the peasants was called the jacquerie it was soon crushed the nobles forgetting all distinctions of party turned as one man against the peasants charles of navarre laid aside his character of a popular leader and was foremost in massacring the revolted peasants marcel alone tried to send them aid as indeed it was in his interest to support the people against the nobility 
the suppression of the revolt left the country in a more miserable condition than before marcel's position in paris was becoming dangerous he was besieged in the city by the army of the dauphin and to save himself determined to give over the city into the hands of charles of navarre in the very act of giving up the keys he was murdered by the partisans of the dauphin and died after having done something for his country by the reforms which he had wrung from the dauphin after his death the dauphin entered paris but was powerless until he consented to make peace with charles of navarre for the whole country was overrun by english and navarrese soldiers the dauphin was at paris with his brothers no merchants or others dared to venture out of the city to look after their concerns or take any journey for they were attacked and killed whatever road they took the navarrese were masters of all of the rivers and most of the cities this caused such a scarcity of provisions that we are told that a small cask of herring sold for thirty golden crowns and other things in proportion many died of hunger salt was so dear that the inhabitants of the large towns were greatly distressed for want of it by a reconciliation with the king of navarre the dauphin hoped to free the country from the ravages of the navarrese soldiers and to be able to offer some resistance to the english but however deplorable the condition of france might be it could hardly be expected that it would accept peace on the conditions offered by the english the truce which had existed between england and france since the battle of poitiers came to an end on the first may thirteen fifty nine the king of england and the prince of wales had a meeting with king john at westminster and john showed himself willing to sign any treaty that was proposed to him the english demanded all the country from calais to the pyrenees even normandy and anjou should be given up to them and that four millions of golden florins should be paid as king john's ransom when this treaty was brought to france the dauphin assembled the king of navarre and others in a council of state and laid it before them it was unanimously rejected we would rather endure they answered the great distress we are in at present than suffer the kingdom of france to be diminished king john must remain longer in england when edward the third heard their answer he said that before the winter was over he would enter france with a powerful army and remain there until there was an end of the war by an honourable and satisfactory peace end of section eleven